0: If you would, go ahead and turn to the book of John, chapter 1, and put the ribbon there, and then you can go ahead and turn back over to Isaiah, chapter 55. The irreducible complexity of the simplicity of the gospel means that when someone else gets up here to speak, they're always going to say something that relates to what the next speaker is going to say. And it happened with the songs, it has happened with what Blake said. And when I first was shown the context behind Isaiah chapter 55, I was enamored. I was delighted. I would Anxious to tell you what I have seen, what I've been shown in this passage. So let's go ahead and begin reading in Isaiah chapter 55. We'll pick up in verses 6 and 7. And it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. The idea that he will abundantly pardon through the cross is what I want to present today. And this chapter, Isaiah 55, is the conclusion of all of the servant songs. It sums up the four servant songs that are presented in Isaiah. I'm going to very briefly look through a few verses of all of these songs because these servant songs the Messiah. They show the Messiah. They show how the Messiah was delivered to us, for us. And then he calls his people through these servant songs. So let's look first at Isaiah chapter 42. We're going to go through a couple of verses in 42, then 49, then 50, and then we'll spend a little bit of time in the grand, the grand finale of 53, and then we'll make a point about the conclusion in 53. So chapter 42 of Isaiah. Let's look at verses 1 through 4 real quickly there. And it reads, Coastlands, listen to me in silence. Let the people gain new strength. Let them come forward. Let them speak. Let us come together for judgment. Who had? I'm sorry, I started in 41. It's 42. Behold my servant, whom I uphold. My chosen one, in whom my soul delights, I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands will await expectantly for his law. He will be gentle and he will bring justice and then in verse 6 I am the Lord I have called you in righteousness I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you I will appoint you as a covenant to the people as a light to the nations the Messiah is going to call a covenant people to him and then in verse 9 behold the former things have come to pass and now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. Yahweh is saying, I'm going to show you something. It's going to be something new. We'll come back to this in just a few minutes. But then over in 49, chapter 49 of the book of Isaiah, we continue with the servant song. So picking up in 49 and reading 1 through 4 again. Listen to me, O islands. Pay attention, you people from afar. Yahweh called me from the womb. From the body of my mother he named me. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has concealed me. He has made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show my glory. But I said, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely the justice due me is with Yahweh, and my reward is with God. The nature and the character and the purpose of the Messiah is shown here. He is selected, known from the womb. He is protected. The hand has concealed him. He is spent. My strength is for vanity, and he is redeemed. Surely justice with me is from the Lord. And he brings salvation in verse 8. Thus saith Yahweh, in favorable time I have answered you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. And I will also keep you and give you for a covenant people to restore the land, to make them inherit desolate heritage, so he's going to restore a people for himself and for Yahweh. And then, in chapter 50, he is helped by Yahweh. Note, in verses 4, 5, and 7, and 9, continually, reference is made to the sovereign Lord, to Yahweh as the sovereign creator, as the one over all and in all. And then 5 and 6 describe the Messiah. Verses 5 and 6. The Lord has opened my ear. I was not disobedient. I did not turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. And we see the faithful and the obedient And the troubled Messiah. And we recognize these things from the New Testament. From the accounts of him being crucified. The trials that he went through before his crucifixion. And in verse 10, he proclaims the word. Who is is among you that fears Yahweh? That obeys the voice of his servant? That walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of Yahweh and rely the servant is the one who calls who's to be obeyed and he also calls the word in verse 4 of chapter 50 Yahweh God has given me the tongue of a disciple that I may know how to sustain the weary with one word he awakens me morning by morning and he awakens my ear to listen as a disciple the servant is the one who who sustains us with his word, with the word. Chapter 53, he has the power to give love and mercy in response to undeserved suffering. We're going to contrast humiliation and suffering with exaltation and also human thought with truth in chapter 53. Actually, it begins in chapter 52 and perhaps one of the worst chapter breaks in all of Scripture. (coughs) This is picking up in chapter 52 and verse 13. Behold. Behold. I appreciate Jason's words a couple of weeks ago when he defined that word, behold. He called it to look at emphatic. You don't think often about looking with emphasis, but that was how it was described, and that's an accurate way of saying, behold, look at this with intensity. And he says, behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Greatly exalted and high and lifted up. These are terms exclusive to Yahweh, the creator of the universe, that they are used to describe the servant. Just as many of you, just as, just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any other man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations, kings will shut their mouths on account of him, for what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. In verse 15 there, the word sprinkled. There's a bit of misunderstanding about that word. There's various ways to, to translate that word. And one of them is "stark." And I think that fits the context a lot better than sprinkled. Because if you think about what he's saying here, they will see. What they had, they will see what they had been told, and they will understand what they had not heard. So there's this element of surprise in what's going on with the Messiah here. Chapter 42 and verse 9, he declared new things. Chapter 48, in the context of what Cyrus has done to free his people, he uses the same analogy. And he says that. For his own sake, he is going to do new things. And that way, his people will not be able to say these new things were done by their idols. He'd already declared, I've told you these things. You saw them happen. I'm going to do something new that no idol will be able to lay claim to. He's declared his ways in history. And then he does something unheard of. He himself becomes a man and sacrifices himself as the priest. Nowhere in antiquity is it ever even thought of that the priest would sacrifice himself. It was unheard of. It was new. It was something that could not be attributed to the idols. Picking up. 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of the parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor an appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised, forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their face, He was despised, and we did not esteem him. He was despised. He was rejected. Our iniquity was put on him. Like sheep, verse 6, like sheep, all of us have gone astray, and each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. And his grave was assigned with the wicked. So it says. Verse 9. His grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with the rich man in this death. Because he had done no violence. And there was not any deceit in his mouth. When he was buried, he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. A rich man. But he died with righteous people. He died for his righteous people. The ones that he made righteous through his death, he was with rich people, the righteous rich people that we have become because of him. As the result, me, verse 10, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days The first time you read this verse, it is so, so touching. God Almighty was pleased to crush Him. Why? Why pleasure in crushing the Savior, the servant? Because it brought reconciliation. That was how we are reconciled to our Savior, through the crushing of Him by His Father. Verse 11. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. Many will be justified. And how is it that the anguish of the soul will be seen? God saw the anguish of his soul. And in Romans 4.24, It tells us it was sufficient to redeem us. We were sufficiently redeemed by the anguish of his soul. In verse 12, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he has poured himself out to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sins of many and interceded for our transgressions. He poured himself out to death for the transgressors, for us. Chapter 54 brings us to the results of chapter 53. It's the wonder of God's love. By his wounds we are healed. The barrenness of verses 1 through 3 of chapter 54. Shout for joy, O barren one you who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed, For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman. Enlarge your tent. The ones that he justified. His people are going to be tremendous, exalted, expansive. We were estranged from him. Yet He brings us back. Verse 4. Fear not, you will not be put to shame. And you will not feel humiliated. For you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth. Verse 6. For the Lord has called you like a forsaken wife, grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected. We are rejected. We were estranged from Him. He calls us back to Him. He brings us out of spiritual poverty and despair. In verse 7, For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness I will have compassion upon you, says Yahweh, your Redeemer. He escalates it so much in those two verses. He starts with the idea that it was a brief moment and he was angry, he forsook them. But then it's an outburst of anger, the wrath that he had against his sinful people. But then he has this everlasting covenant, this loving kindness, this compassion that lasts forever. And then he will give the city of righteousness to his people. He describes the foundations as sapphire and the stone, stones as antimony, antimony, a glue, a substance that's hard to hold stones together. And then chapter 55. The reaction to the power of chapter 53. Ho, he says in faith. Many translations say come. But that word ho is a derivative of woe. It's like the joyful side of woe. You think about the idea that we say, mercy's sake. Sometimes it means, oh, for mercy's sake, that was wonderful. And sometimes it means, oh, for mercy's sake, I can't believe you did that. Very much related to woe. The prophet from from Judah who went out to Israel, was lied to and died. And the prophet from Israel that condemned him to death by lying to him said, oh, alas, my brother, which means woe to my brother. The same word in death is the same word that's used in life here as he calls his people. Come, buy for free water and wine. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages that do not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. He says, come buy water and wine and milk for free. We're talking about salvation and joy and blessings. And then he says, listen. Incline your ear. Lean in so you can hear. Listen again. Have delight. And life for your soul. And an everlasting covenant according to the mercies of God. In verse 5. 4 and 5. Behold, I have made him a witness to his people. A leader, a commander for the people. Behold, you will call a nation who you do not know A nation which knows you not will run to you because of Yahweh your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you through His death. He has made us a nation that will call people to us. He abundantly pardoned through the cross. Verse 6 is where we're back to. I read earlier. The idea that He abundantly pardons. My first thought on this, my initial thought was, oh, let's look at verse 7 first. Excuse me, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are, higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Put that in the context of forgiveness, of pardon, and then think about it. When we pardon, we're reminded, oh, I forgave them. Oh, but now I'm offended again. I must pardon again. The idea that Jesus tells Peter to forgive 70 times 70. We keep remembering these things and keep having to reassert our pardons. But Yahweh is not like that. When he pardons, he pardons forever. But it goes so much deeper than that. Grandiose, yes, he is. He is higher than us and far above us. And we can go to Isaiah 40 or numerable psalms and see that, at the end of the book of Job, a great place to see how great and fantastic he is. But in the context of forgiveness is what's going on here. And compare his thoughts and his deeds to our thoughts. Ours are wicked and unrighteous, but his, not so. And although he is way up here, he has made provision for us, for our life on earth. For as high as the heavens are than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, verse 9, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, And do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. And it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter which I have sent it. He's given us provisions for life here on earth. And His Word is the way for us to have life and to become His people. This is what we see in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. And the word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory. Glory as that of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Water and the bread for life, and the word of life. There is a great gulf between Him and us. But from up there, He created a cycle that feeds us, not only today, but tomorrow, and throughout this life but He has also created a salvation that will feed us for an eternity. Three times the Word of God is called the Son of God. John doesn't tell us about the baptism, but he does tell us about the Spirit descending upon the Savior. The essence of God descending and remaining upon him. And the second time God declares him his beloved son is at the transfiguration. Moses and Elijah, the cloud descends, the lawgiver and the prophet are gone. And all that remains is the Savior. And finally, a Gentile, a Roman soldier, at the cross after three hours of darkness in the middle of the day he declares surely this was the son of God this means for us verse 12 of Isaiah 55 for you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace The mountain and the hills will break forth and shouts before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. Instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. It will be a memorial to the Lord, an everlasting sign that will not be cut off. We, his people, will go forth led in peace. The trees will applaud, blessed in contentment myrtle and cedars will replace bitterness and sorrow and this his people will be an everlasting sign for the glory of the people of him to the end of the age Yes, a memorial forever to the end of the age because his people are forgiven of sin forgiveness through his blood the blood of the covenant, the promise through David to eternal life. The bread, the communion, and the community. The body of Christ. The body that is his name, his people, both on earth and on the cross.